and welcome to Women in Retail Talks, the podcast where C-suite executive women in the retail space share their stories of professional growth, leadership development, personal journeys, and more. I'm Marie Albages, Senior Editor of Women in Retail, a membership-based community of executive women at leading retailers and brands. Today, I'm joined by Amy Franks, the Executive Vice President of Retail Networks and Business Development at Ethan Allen. She has decades of experience in the home furnishing, sales, design, and retail environment, and I'm really excited to hear about her career journey and her time at Ethan Allen. So, Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Marie. Yeah, I'm really excited to to get into it. You have this really long history at, at Ethan Allen, um, and I want to get right into it, if that's all right with you. So, I think nearly 25 years, if I'm correct. Yes, I joined Ethan Allen in 1996, so okay. a long time. Nice. Right. So how, tell me how you got into this niche of, of furniture retail. Well, it's uh, it's funny. It's an interesting story, at least for me. Um, as uh, a youngster, like so many 18-year-olds, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And I remember vividly applying to colleges and trying to figure out what to major in. And I remember my mom saying, you really like to move your room around. You're always moving your furniture. I think you should consider interior design. So uh, like a good child, I listened to my mom and I went to school for interior design and loved all four years of college and was eager to jump into the industry. And so at graduation, at of course now my father's directive to go find a job, um, I looked to what was the way to find work back then, which was the classified ads. And uh, for me in Boston, it was the Boston Sunday Globe. So I found a post for interior designer at a small furniture company in Boston. I applied for that. Uh, I remember hitting it off at the interview. The woman also had been a graduate of Syracuse University's interior design program. So we had a lot of uh, common things together. And um, really, the rest is history. I fell in love with retail, with furniture and interior design. Nice. Okay. So now you're you're the SVP of retail network and business development after obviously working your way up. So tell me how what your workday looks like now. What are you responsible for? Well, I think my favorite part of my job is that new no two days are ever the same. Uh, but there's certainly a lot of elements of the day that are very consistent. Uh, the retail network at Ethan Allen is quite expansive. We have 172 design centers in North America alone. Um, and ultimately, that's my most high priority. Uh, so my day starts with some type of communication to the retail team. I'm pretty well known for my morning emails. I'm an early morning person. So sometimes I'm emailing them before they wake up. Um, but I'm typically speaking to them in the morning about our objectives, our key initiatives, uh, certainly sales goals. Um, I'm a big believer in goals. One of my favorite quotes that I use often is shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you land amongst the stars. So our retail team knows that I'll always set a lofty goal for us to strive for and reach. And, um, you know, I'm also a big believer in staying connected to the team. So I touch base each day with as many members of the team as I can, uh, certainly those who report directly to me, knowing that I want to speak with everyone at least once a week. Based on my travel schedule and theirs, we find common time to connect. And often it's the car ride into the office or the car ride home at night. Uh, most weeks I'm traveling. 
I'm on the road as much as I can be. I spend some of my time at our corporate office in Danbury, Connecticut, but the rest of the time I'm traveling to our design centers across the country. And there's nothing like being in the design center with our teams who make it happen. It's really when you see what their challenges are, you see the obstacles they have to overcome that help me best understand really what my role is, which is to support them and remove as many roadblocks as possible. Okay, so a couple of things I picked up on that that I want to follow up on. You said that you try to touch base with everyone at least once a week and 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 really connect with as many people as you can per day. Walk me through what what do those touch bases look like? Are they just a, you know, as a leader, we always want to know, you know, how can I be more connected with my teams? How can I make them feel like they belong? What do those touch bases look like? Yeah, that's a great question. They certainly look different for each person I'm speaking with. Uh, the first thing I often say to the folks that report to me is have an Amy list. Um, I know I have a list for my boss <laughs> so that when I have time with him, I'm able to make sure I communicate everything I need to. So I suggest the same to my team. Have an Amy list so that when we connect, we're ready. Uh, with that, you know, these touch bases are also about answering any questions they might have, um, any issues they might have on their plate that they need help resolving. Um, but certainly there's also formal touch bases where we may meet to discuss their business directly, uh, the locations that they're responsible for, and what they're doing to develop talent, what they're doing to recruit, how I can help, my suggestions for what else they might be able to do to grow their business, to add people to, to do grassroots marketing. So certainly there's an informal touch base and then there's a formal touch base and they look a little different. And I love that you're you're kind of letting them come to you with with the list of, of things that they have and they're seeing that reflected in, in you and knowing that you do that with your own boss. So I love that. The the other thing that you said was that you're you're a big believer in goals. And this comes up a lot for us as well, is you know, especially in the last few months, we've been hearing a lot from speakers about the idea of being okay with failing and failing fast. So how do you how do you navigate the two of like, you have, you set these lofty goals, you said, but what happens when you fail or if you fail? Well, I think we probably all fail more than we succeed. And, and it's the fact that we have to pick ourselves back up and move on. And in retail sales, we speak about that a lot because, you know, a selling month is, uh, you know, anywhere from 28 to 31 days. And you start over at the beginning of each month. And so the goal is to certainly look back at last month and identify what did we do great? One of the things we often do in our first retail call of each month is to celebrate our successes. What did we do great? What went well? And what can everybody learn from those successes? Certainly, there's always that element of, you know, where did we fall short? I try really hard not to use the word fail. Um, or not succeed, but really, where did we fall short? And what do we need to do differently? Uh, this whole idea of course correcting and making modifications along the way, whether it's midstream or at the completion of a project, I think is a really important element for helping people grow. And that's ultimately what we're doing. Uh, you know, goal setting is something to strive for. It's something to reach for. Um, but a goal has to be higher than what the you know, minimum level of acceptance would be, right? So that we know that we're still succeeding, even if we're falling short of the goal. Yeah, I love that reframing from 
where was the failure to where did we fall short and how can we improve? So, and, and with, with, uh, Ethan Allen, which is a 91 year old company, I'm sure that that's been the conversation for, for years and years. Um, and I know I heard uh, on a recent interview, your CEO say that, you know, Ethan Allen is, is constantly innovating and you've been there for 20 plus years. What are the ways that you kind of see in the company innovate during your time there that, that have stood out to you? Well, Fru Kefwari, our CEO, uh, has established long time ago 10 leadership principles that we all live by at Ethan Allen. And one of them is change. We embrace it and we aren't afraid of it. We're constantly innovating. It's a well-known fact at Ethan Allen that the only thing constant is change. And if you're not changing, then you're staying the same. And it's not possible to grow if you're stagnant. So, uh, you know, certainly the biggest part of our innovation, I would say, is on the side of our product. Um, and the quality of our products is one of the reasons we were recently named America's number one premium furnishings retailer by Newsweek. Uh, our philosophy is classic design, modern perspective, which gives us a clear direction, but also a lot of flexibility. Uh, we're constantly looking to see that we offer a variety of styles and designs so that any client, no matter their lifestyle or style preference, can create their own look at Ethan Allen. So uh, certainly that's a huge aspect of how we've been innovating is constantly trying new things. Um, I'm also proud to say that we've developed a very strong leadership team of women. At the end of our last fiscal year, which was June 30, 70% of our retail network are women. Mm-hmm. And as 65% of our leaders at corporate headquarters are women. And that's not something you find in every company. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's great to hear. So speaking of innovations, I mean, the last few years with the pandemic, I'd love to hear a few of the things that Ethan Allen did to kind of combat that and, and see their way through it. I would say the most challenging element in the last several years, uh, I would say is twofold. One, it's on the side of talent, and the other is on the side of service. And those are two elements of our business that we're always intently focused on. Certainly, I'll start with the talent side. Um, you know, through COVID, uh, you heard about companies having to lay people off. You heard about people who were out of work. Um, we were very lucky that although there was a short period of time when our stores were not open, that people were out of work, um, we were very quick to bring uh, our teams back um, and to build strong teams and to be able to respond to what has been a very high demand for home furnishings during this last several years. And while we're still, I would say, on the leaner side, the strength of our team is incredible. We are doing uh, much more business today than we did in the pre-COVID years with fewer people. And it really speaks to the caliber of the talent uh, that we've been able to bring on and retain through these last several years. So talent's been a major focus. Uh, certainly on the service side of things, our, our objective is to make sure we meet the demands of our clients and we meet a client wherever they need to be. And that servicing of the product from how long it takes to produce the product and deliver it to their home, to the level of service we offer through home calls, visiting a client's home. Uh, certainly that changed during the pandemic. People didn't want us in their home and that was okay. We learned how to use technology and connect with our clients in a way that made sense for them. 
And it's remarkable that even today, all these years later, there are clients that just prefer to do something online because we've learned it helps us move faster. Uh, so certainly the, the caliber of our talent and the way we're servicing our clients, um, I, I would say, have been real key elements of our focus in these last few years since the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it's really about where the customer is. And these days, the customer is everywhere. So that, that gives you a lot of opportunity to be in front of them one way or another. Absolutely. So let's talk about you a little bit. I'd love to hear how your leadership style has changed over the years as your direct reports have increased, as your title has changed. I'm sure you've been able to do some kind of self-reflection as your responsibilities grew. So what does that look like now? Uh, it, it's a great question. And I'll be honest, I don't know that I did as much self-reflecting until I had to answer this question. <laughs> Thank you for giving me a moment to pause. Um, and I would say, I think that that's something that's important. We don't always take time to stop and reflect and think about how far we've come or what we've accomplished. And, and we should have something built in. We should have that built into our cell phones, a little reminder regularly to reflect. Um, but it's funny how we change over the years and we learn what works and doesn't work. And I referenced it earlier, uh, you know, whether we fail or succeed, we should be learning from all of those experiences. And I think that that's something that as I reflect, I recognize that whether I've done it right or done it wrong, I, I've taken time to learn from various experiences. Uh, I think one of the biggest parts of my leadership that's changed is that I no longer feel the need to be the one with answers. I've learned that it's more important that I empower my team and I rely on them to find answers. It goes back to our leadership principle of confidence, have the confidence to empower others to do their best. It's easy when we're young and new to a career to focus on having answers. We think we need to be the person who is the go-to amongst the group, and that's how we designate ourselves as a leader. But as I've grown in my own skin and my own leadership, I see now it's much more about the people. Um, Ethan Allen is a business built in relationships. So I find it's so important in my role to build relationships across all of our company. Networking is such an important part of growing, whether it's outside the company or internally. And connecting with people helps us to learn. And this is an area, a key area that I have found is so important over the last several years. So, so speaking of teams, I'd love to hear what are some of the things that, that you look for when you're building your team? You know, we mentioned talent a little bit ago. What are some of the things that you look for when you're you're trying to get the best talent on your team? Well, you know, I think at the top of that list has to be attitude. Mm -hmm. I really look for people who have a positive attitude. It's a can-do attitude and a winning attitude. If, if you can't bring that level of positivity to the table, um, then that's, you know, I struggle with that, if I'm being honest. Uh, you know, having a strategic mindset is the next thing I look for. Really, how to break down a challenge, whether it's finding the right talent or setting achievable goals. One of the most important roles a leader plays is to help their team see a clear path to success. So mm -hmm. being able to strategize through, through challenges is very important. Um, I also look for a trainer. I, you know, our CEO always reminds us that the job of a leader is to help people be better. And I couldn't agree more. So when building a team, 
I often ask candidates to help me understand how they help their team. Hmm. I look to see if they're feeding people answers or asking them how they'd approach a challenge. And it's easy to just give somebody an answer. But if we never teach people how to find answers or how to think on their own, uh, then that really ultimately holds them back. So teaching people to use their mind is hard, but important. Courage is also an essential ingredient I look for. I, I want people to be brave and not afraid to make mistakes. That's how we learn. Uh, and I've said this already today, but I think I know what to do today because I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And that's okay. Well, and when you see the leader making those mistakes and letting you know that it's okay to do that, then that's encouraging you to, yes, set those lofty goals, but also learn from those mistakes. And again, reframe them as the question of where did we fall short versus where did we fail? Right. And I think leaders have to also be courageous enough to recognize they made a mistake. It's okay mm-hmm. to say to your team, oh, right. No, I, I I made a mistake. You're right. No, I'm sorry. I led you down the wrong path or you're absolutely right. And, and recognize when Maybe we didn't have that that answer uh, immediately and that somebody else did. I, I think that's how people buy into you also when you're humble and, and relatable. Mm-hmm. And I think as women, especially, we are prone to doing those things and, and calling it a mistake quicker and faster than our male counterparts, let's say. Um, and, and speaking of that, I'd love to know you know, being a woman in probably what is a considered a male dominated industry, like much of the verticals in retail, if you had any, any particular experiences as a woman in retail, and particularly as a woman in the, the furnishing space, um, that that really impacted you when it came to being probably one of the only women in the room? Well, furniture in general, I think, has been widely seen as a male-dominated industry for so long. But remember, Ethan Allen is different. We may be a furniture manufacturer, but we are an interior design company. My design degree helped me to get in the door, and I grew through the ranks from my early years as a design consultant. I learned from the inside what good leadership looked like and took on a sales manager role early in my career. My mother... Um, who I've referenced already today, very important role um, in my life. She's now retired, but she was a school teacher. So I think there's something in my blood that wants to help people learn, wants to teach people. And I took on roles in education and training over the years and still work with that team today. Uh, But being a female at Ethan Allen is, is not hard as a substantial percentage of our workforce is female. And I'm very proud of that. However, within the industry, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, being a female in a male-dominated world for me is really about being myself. Uh, authenticity is so important. I always tell people, I am the same person at work that I am at home. I think if we got my husband and two children on this call today, they would attest to that. Uh, I think I've spoken to my children like they were adults since the day they were born. And I believe that being honest and direct with people is the best way to help people grow and move forward. There there shouldn't be games. We don't have time to play games. We just have work to do. Well, you've offered a lot of advice, I think, on this call already. But I'm curious, you know, what are the some of the things that you think that the next generation of female retail leaders should be focused on if they if they want to advance in their career and be those great leaders? 
you know, giving people advice is something I take very seriously. Uh, but I think we all could use advice uh, now and then on how to be better leaders. The, the first thing I would say is don't be afraid to speak up. And this isn't just about female leaders, but all leaders. If, if you are to be seen as a leader, then you need to have a point of view and be unafraid to share that point of view, professionally and respectfully, of course, but having a point of view is important. Um, the next would be emotional intelligence. It's such an important part of business. I think sometimes it becomes underrated because it's the warm and fuzzy part of business, but mm -hmm. having emotional intelligence is critical. I I'm conflicted on whether this has to come naturally or it can be learned, but having strong EQ uh, really allows you to be able to read between the lines. For example, um, I, you know, I just mentioned, I think people need to have a point of view and they need to be unafraid to share it, but it's that emotional intelligence that helps you recognize when is the right time and place to express that point of view? You have to know your audience and you have to know your timing. And that's where emotional intelligence comes in. Uh, and certainly leaders need to be relatable. Accessibility as a leader is important. And as a female leader, this can be misinterpreted as being motherly. And I'm not suggesting that. Goodness knows I have two children <laughs> at home. I'm a mother. Uh, but being accessible and relatable is important because your team needs to rely on you especially during difficult times, and know that they can come to you for anything. And uh, you know that quote, find a job you love, and you'll never have to work a day in your life. Well, uh, you know, I think a piece of advice is to remind everybody, it's not sunshine and roses all, all day, every day. That's why they yeah. call it work. But really, I love what I do. And I think that shows in my work. And I think that is my best advice to anyone to love what you do. Because if you don't, those work days are going to be really, really long. Yeah. Well, and I think that advice of being relatable and knowing the difference between being relatable and, and just that being a label that we tack on to, to women, especially mothers, is back to what you were saying about showing up as your, your authentic self and being the same person that you are in the office that you are at home with the kids. And again, when when your direct reports see you being your authentic self and being relatable, then they can say, okay, then I have permission to do that as well. So love that advice. So we are winding down. I have one more question I want to ask you, uh, and this can be kind of a broad scope as to the, the next year or so, but what are some of the things that you are looking forward to both professionally and, and personally for you know the rest of the year and, and 2024 and beyond? Well, professionally, uh, we've been working really hard these last six months or so on our newest interior projection for all of our design centers. We've been planning our floor displays, getting all the new products on order. And we're in the process now of bringing that all together. All of the work we've been doing is, is coming to fruition with the painting and the wallpapering inside our design centers and the new products are starting to arrive. So I'm excited to see all of our design centers transform this fall. Um, designers, and that's the designer in me. You know, we always love yeah. pretty things and to surround ourselves with beautiful environments. So we're planning grand reopenings across the U.S. to celebrate this newness. So uh, attending those events and seeing our teams excited about their new design centers is is uh, something I'm really looking forward to. Awesome. Personally, I'm looking forward to some upcoming travels. As I mentioned earlier, I love to travel. I love to get out into our design centers and 
and see our teams across the U.S. Uh, but this next trip, um, I'm headed to London and then on to the Middle East uh, to travel to many of our international design centers. I also have plans to visit our design centers in China this year. And so, you know, the international side of the business is a newer area for me and getting out into the world to see how our design centers and our brands project internationally um, is exciting. And I'm looking forward to that. And, and that's really when the personal and the professional side of me collide in the most fabulous way, because the, the personal side of seeing a new country and, and, and yet at the same time, the professional side, seeing our, our brand. Yeah. Will, will you be able to kind of tack on some some personal days to each of those trips? Well, to combat jet lag, you have to build in a little yeah. bit. So, so yes. And uh, those those trips are not all being done at the same time. So broken up at different times over the year. But yes, I think seeing those areas is, is so important. I mean, even as an East Coaster, when I go to the West Coast, you know, it's a different vibe on the West Coast. Your, your consumer is the same and people like consistency and like a lot of the same things, but you still have to soak in the local culture within each of these markets if you're really going to understand who your client is in a different market. So, so the answer is yes, I have to be able to get out there and, and see some sites. Yeah. That's so exciting. Lots of exciting updates for you coming up. Um, we are out of time, but I want to thank you so much for, for joining me in this conversation, for really being authentic and honest about how you are as a leader. And I wish you the best of luck in all of your upcoming travels. Thank you, Marie. I appreciate your time today. And this has been great. Thank you so much. You take good care. Thanks for listening. For more information on this podcast, please go to womeninretail.com slash podcasts for show notes. Women in Retail Talks is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Make sure to subscribe on our podcast channel page as well. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few moments to rate and review our show. Lastly, if you're a female retail leader interested in joining our community at Women in Retail Leadership Circle, visit womeninretail.com slash apply. Thanks, and until next time, this has been Women in Retail Talks.